If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, welcome to the latest edition of the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like, just not sports. On today's show, we will talk to legendary Chicago Sun-Times columnist and national sports television mainstay Rick Tellender about launching his first art show, Amazing Stuff. And with the NBA Finals peaking, uh, well, or maybe over by the time you listen to this, and NBA players getting casted by movies, we will debate which NBA star will be annoying LeBron in Hollywood next Well, besides Kyrie Irving, that is. I'm your co-host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago. And joining me on the line, two distinguished, I mean distinguished gentlemen. Let's start also in Chicago. He is a respected, trusted, fierce, tall PR representative who has logged time with the University of Colorado the Green Bay Packers, and many sports brands. He is Adam Willard. Adam, um, since we're going to talk action movies, do, do you have a do you have like a, a favorite action movie that you actually own on on DVD or dare I say VHS? And a favorite action movie that I own? No, but I bought the last movie that I bought from. Uh, the Microsoft store on my Xbox was the greatest MMA movie of all time, uh, starring Tom Hardy called Warrior. I'd check it out if you haven't seen it. You know what's funny? Uh, you saying Microsoft was the equivalent of me saying VHS. Yep. <laughs> like it's, but it's the Microsoft store <laughs> on my Xbox. So it's a little bit more sophisticated, Brad. I mean, I guess. guess. Uh, Also with us, he is seven-time Emmy-winning sports producer, Gareth Hughes. Gareth, uh, do do you own only the the novelization of action movies in your house? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Fuck that, man. Uh, I lived through the 90s in your basement, my man, and I love... Action movies is one... Genre exercise I am fully in on. Oh. Uh, the Last Boy Scout is my favorite action movie. It is ever I can, made. Can, this is confirmed by Brad Burke uh, as a youth. <laughs> yeah, th- that movie is awesome. Shane Black wrote it. I loved everything he's done up to and including The Nice Guys, which was one of my favorite movies of the last few years. And even though I have no interest in the Predator reboot, I will be going to see it because he wrote and directed it. Yeah, Last Boy Scout is butt. I'm just going to say that. His movie's terrible. And yeah, it is a awful terrible movie. movie. Yeah, I it's just, a terrible I movie. I love it. 
Nah. It opens with a dude, Billy Blanks, by the way, yeah. shooting a football player so he could score a touchdown ostensibly to cover the spread. And I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that those points did not count. <laughs> uh, no. Really? It all depends on whether he got, a, he got an excessive celebration penalty after the score was made or not. <laughs> for maybe, he knelt for the, maybe he knelt for the anthem. <laughs> hey, by the way, all that is chronicled in, I, I don't even know, like probably episode 50-something of Just Not Sports with our hero, Vern Lundquist, uh, <laughs> who may need to go into the Just Not Sports Hall of Fame. I'm, I'm thinking we should start a Hall of Fame this year, and Vern should definitely be inducted. It's rare to find someone more excited about this podcast than us, but Vern was. Yeah, you know what? That's a that's probably the best. That's why he did, he belongs in the Just Not Sports Hall of Fame was because unlike us, he was excited to do this show, and we <laughs> are always appreciative of it. All right, right now we're gonna take the open of the show and make it wide open. Anything in the world of sports that's not sports is fair game. And Adam, can I can I punt to you to kind of set up for us? what you wanted to talk about because I had my my annual office day of service which meant I spent most of today moving mulch around and uh, I'm not sure I, I quite understood it I feel like I'm ready to okay. go but I feel like maybe our audience deserves a better explanation okay so if you've been watching the NBA finals the one of the big sponsors or things that's being promoted is the movie Equalizer 2 I don't know if you saw the original equalizer with Denzel Washington, but he is a great black vigilante superhero, you might say. Awesome movie. Anyways, they start this skit with Denzel um, and one of his colleagues, and he says, uh, Denzel, when are we going to make Equalizer 2? And Denzel says, I don't do sequels, man. So they set up the premise that, well, Denzel, if you are not going to be the star of Equalizer 2, maybe we should search the NBA for the next star. So you see some vignettes. Uh, the ones I've seen so far feature Dwight Howard, um, who can't stop smiling, uh, Lonzo Ball, who has created tons of merch for the movie, and throughout the finals, I'll, we'll see more and more until we realize the star of Equalizer 2 is indeed Denzel Washington. So it got me thinking... For movies where there aren't a sequel, uh, or maybe a sequel that you'd like to see done better, what is the sequel you'd like to see, and who is the NBA star in that movie? Does that make sense, Brad? It does, but can can we also include reboots here? Because we yes. live in a, in a reboot culture, and I would love yes. to... Yeah, okay, great. That That's all I wanted to know. I'm in. Because my, my, my selections could be either. Do you want right, to make Adam, it like the casting couch, but not the creepy kind? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> casting couch, but not the creepy kind. Adam, uh, what you got? Yeah, so these aren't action movies, but that's, I mean, we could, you go any way you want. So I have, I have a couple. The first one uh, is Good Will Hunting 2. So, <laughs> um, you know, there have been a lot of talented but misguided players in the NBA, and it got me thinking, who could have used a Robin Williams-like mentor? And uh, I have to cast in the Matt Damon role 
Rashid Wallace. Imagine if, <laughs> as a young man, Rashid Wallace had had some mentorship. Uh, how things might have gone differently for him when he when he first started playing for the Washington Bullets. Both algorithms played hard, my man. Both algorithms played hard. <laughs> uh, so who would play the Robin Williams role, you ask? Uh, no other than Bill Russell. Um, he's got mm. the beard, and that is it. That's the only In qualifier. Boston. He's got connections to Boston. He does have qu- connections to Boston. Uh, and then just to round things out a little bit, Calbert Chaney as the Ben Affleck role. Um <laughs> Robert Pack as um, the Casey Affleck role, and then Chris Weber as the professor. Uh, I, you know what, Adam? Uh, I, I want to apologize to our listeners if my mic seems fuzzy. I'm in line for that movie right now, so <laughs> cell phone reception's a little, a little out of it. Why, why don't we go around the room here, though, and we'll we'll do we'll kind of like a, a, a volley back and forth. Gareth, what's your first one? Okay, the same weekend that that opens at the Multiplex, <clears throat> I recast The Dark Knight around the 2017-18 Philadelphia 76ers, where Joel Embiid is playing Batman based on his mask. Oh. J.J. Oh, okay. Reddick, the elder statesman, the old white man, he's Alfred. Um, Markel Fultz is Two-Face. I thought Marco Fultz would be Deadshot in the DC universe. <laughs> oh, well played. Or, 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 or Hawkeye in Marvel. You know? yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. He never misses. Um, Brian Colangelo is Commissioner Gordon because he goes, he's ostensibly in charge and then goes undercover in disguise and disappears <laughs> for long stretches of the movie. He's he's commissioner one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And uh, Sam Hinkie then comes in as the Joker who just wants to see the world burn. So that is your That's Dark good. Knight recast around this year's Philadelphia 76ers. That's mm. good, man. That's real good. Um, all right. I'm going to start with... Uh, I'm going to recast Die Hard. Oh. And uh, I didn't do the whole cast like you guys. I just did the lead role where we get the uh, the hardworking blue-collar schlub who finds himself in the wrong spot and tries to shoot himself out of it. In the movie, we all know that was Bruce Willis, but in the NBA movie, it's Scott fucking Skiles. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I think, I think he looks exactly like Bruce Willis <laughs> yeah. if you hold them up against Exa- each other. <laughs> really? Exactly? Okay. All right. It's weird to say what I'm about to say, but I feel like Scott Skiles body was worse than Bruce Willis's and he was an NBA player. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, prob- probably. I Scott Skiles looks like one of those guys where you're like, can you th- look at Snopes? This photo looks like it was taken in the 50s, but it was actually the 90s. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 dude. You fell out of Pleasantville. Like, way to go, Scott Skiles. 
right, Adam, do I uh, really do I really have to play as Scott Skiles on NBA Jam? That was just the <laughs> one guy who you just never believed it. All right, Adam, uh, hit us up with uh, your n- number two. This next one could be is more of a reboot. Uh, it is coming to America too. So Bismack Beyond. But Adam, but Adam. Yeah. yeah. Much like Ocean's Eight, we're gonna flip the script. All white guys. Well, kind <laughs> of. So just bear with me <laughs> for a second. Um, so Bismack Biombo is in the Eddie Murphy role. He's from the Congo. It's a good fit. He doesn't have to put on the bad accent. Um, but I know if you remember in the original uh, Coming to America, Lisa McDowell of the McDowell um, franchise was the love interest. Um, we're going to switch it up here and make Bizback Biombo's character's love interest Ivanka Trump. <laughs> <laughs> wow. A whole new look at social and class and race relations in America. And you can imagine what the rest of the cast looks like. By the way, J.J. Reddick plays the white soul glow, glow, soul glow version. <laughs> That's perfect. In this movie. In this movie. Dude, well, so or, J. J. Jer- or Jared Kushner, season. however you want to cast him. No, no, go with J.J. Reddick because he's going to have a busy offseason. Like, he's going to bounce from shooting <laughs> for a few days as Alfred in the reboot of The Dark Knight and then bounce over to your set. I mean, at least they're both films that are based in a city. Maybe we could get the producers on the line or we're the producers and we could coordinate cities to keep, we could both use them. You know what? It just occurred to me that JJ Reddick might've had a better career if his nickname had been Cobra Kai, like his whole time. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. It's like, it's like how I, I forget who, I think it was Jalen Jacoby who said that if, if Lou Diamond Phillips had been, like famous during the A Rod, like condense your name, and he was just LDP. LDP. <laughs> He'd be way more <laughs> <Definitely>. famous. <laughs> I think that's totally true about JJ Reddick. If if he had been a rookie now in the Cobra Kai and and sort of was just like, yeah, what's up? <laughs> All right, Gareth, keep us rolling here. NBA recasting couch. And I don't know if you guys have been reading the trades, but there have been some problems on the set of Fox's reboot of Lethal Weapon, where, yeah, so the show was a kind of a hit for them, and Damon Wayans is one of the co-stars, and his other, the white guy co-star got fired for being a jerk on set, and for being less of a star than Damon Wayans. (laughs) As one of the Simpsons writers put it on Twitter, man, how will they ever find a replacement for... Whoever that fucking guy is. <laughs> so, which I thought was a great shot because it was Fox on Fox Crime. So I wanted to jump in and do some work on recasting Lethal Weapon. So I did this twice. I kind of ran out of steam on one of them, but I was going for extra characters. So obviously the archetype of Lethal Weapon is a buddy cop movie. You've got the old black guy just short of retirement and the hot-headed white dude played by Mel Gibson. The uh, He's Riggs. Murtaugh was Danny Glover. So in my first attempt at casting this, 
I went back to the 1990s Kings and I was looking at another 90s version of Lethal Weapon, Lethal Weapon 2. That's when a South African comes over, claims diplomatic immunity, diplomatic <laughs> immunity to deal drugs, etc. So I cast Chris Webber in the role of Murtaugh and, of course, White Chocolate as Riggs. Ooh, and then I like it. Vladi Divac will play that South African guy. <laughs> so uh, I couldn't find someone to play the short Joe, Joe Pesci role of Leo Getz. But then I was, I was thinking, I was like, there's a better way to do this. There's a better way to cast this. And I think part of the dynamic that Fox is running into right now is that, like, Damon Wayans is an older actor. He's more established. And this other guy who's acting like a jerk, is, he's just some new guy. And who, who is too old for this shit more than Michael Jordan? So Whoa. I went back to his Wizards days. So I want Michael Jordan on the Wizards cast as Murtaugh <laughs> when he was definitely too old for this shit. When he was a, and, su- in a, a supporting role as well. Right. Well, he'll star in this one, but okay. Marcin Gortat will be playing Riggs across from him. All so right, that- Gareth, I hate to jump in, but I also cast Lethal Weapon, and I think I got you beat. <laughs> okay. Okay. You ready I, for this? Well, before, because this ahead. is the end of mine. Okay. okay. I'm just, I went to Lethal Weapon. I tried to cast The Matrix because I really wanted LeBron James to play Morpheus. And then I got to the Oracle, and I made it Oracle Arena. And that's when I was about <laughs> done with this exercise. Us too. So, yeah. All right. So let's hear your lethal weapon. Okay. The old LA-based guy who's three days from retirement, Magic Johnson. Like, <laughs> right okay. now, Magic. Like, statesman of the game, ready to retire. And the young. Oh, wait, do you mean movie theater mogul Magic Johnson? I do mean movie theater mogul Magic Magic. I actually, I, I mean late night talk show host Magic Johnson. <laughs> and if you want to get a scrappy, insane, reckless Australian like Mel Gibson, there's one place to go. Matthew motherfucking Della Vadova. <laughs> it's oh. Eminem, oh. Eminem, Magic, and Matthew hitting it up <laughs> on Lethal Weapon 2019. That or Lethal Weapon 2020. That's that's the reboot. That's what we're doing. Done. Where's my money? I got more money than the Han Solo movie. Let's do it. <laughs> You might actually think, have made more money than the Han Solo movie. It sounds like. I think uh, that's. I think Della Bedova is the best casting pick we've gotten out of this exercise. <laughs> All right. Well, that's, that was even my. That was even my next one. I have got like. I got a couple more. Uh, I, that was my. Uh, that was my retort to Garrett's latest one. I got one for you guys real quick. The Born Identity. It's all about a mm. guy who who wakes up, and he has no idea where he is. He just knows uh-huh. he's got a particular set of skills, and he has to get the hell out of where he is and get somewhere else. J.R. So Smith. In the, Matt, in the Matt Damon role, it's J.R. Smith. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. That's awesome. Uh, I just have one more real quick. Um, Brian Colangelo and his wife in True Lies. 
<laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> that is really good. That is really good. My wife submitted one, and I would call her in here, but she's putting uh, Charlie to bed. She said, let's remake Speed, but in the Keanu role, let's cast Kirk Heinrich. <laughs> Which I think That's is good. pretty inspired. Yeah. yeah. And then here's my ultimate recasting. In the movie Double Team, I'm going to recast Jean-Claude Van Damme with Dennis Rodman, meaning that movie now will star Dennis Rodman and Dennis Rodman (laughs) in an (laughs) Army Hammer social network style CGI fest (laughs) that will be declared by Brad Burke the greatest (laughs) action movie of all time. I'm picturing that like the Michael Bay or like a John Woo face-off style fiasco, you know, just that just doves everywhere, pr- just just yeah, doves yeah, 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 everywhere, yeah, 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 yeah. and Kim Jong Un driving the parachute plane. <laughs> that is wide open. Our NBA casting couch. We are uh, doing what we can to uh, to 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 build on the success, the future success of Kyrie Irving and the Uncle Drew movie, which uh, you can bet Just Not Sports will be breaking down in a few short weeks. But right now, what we're breaking down is art, and specifically the art of Rick Tellender. Rick Tellender was a huge inspiration for me growing up. He's a columnist at the Chicago Sun-Times. You've seen him all over TV on Sports Reporters or doing other stuff. The guy is a legend. He's an icon. He's written multiple books. And now he's taking his skills to the art world. He, art is something he's been dabbling in his entire career. But recently he opened up a public show in Chicago. So we wanted to break down why he decided to, to branch out, what his inspirations are, uh, and, and, and really just what he finds in terms of joy and passion from the art world uh, beyond what he's done in sports writing. So it's a great interview. Stick around. And then after that, we will be back to distract you. I want to start with what was your energy like the night before? I mean, this is your first public art show. Uh, what was your energy like the night before that or, or walking into that as compared to, you know, you, you've built your entire career on being in high pressure, uh, you know, um, uh, high energy situations. But what was that moment like for you specifically? Well, it's funny because I was very relaxed and uh, I didn't feel any pressure at all because everything was done. <laughs> I didn't have to do anything <laughs> and all I could all I had to do was talk to people and wander around, and uh, you know they have free beer. I knew they would draw people in. Yeah. And I also knew that uh, if if people didn't like what I did, you know that was okay. But we'd already sold a piece. Uh, Tony Fitzpatrick called me, I guess, the night before, and uh, somebody else had one of one of the things they'd seen it. I don't even know what. Uh, uh, maybe I'd just shown it to them. They wanted to buy it, so I knew you know right there that at least. Two of the paintings were going to get sold. So, uh, you know, that's nice because my expectations were kind of like zero. <laughs> <laughs> Why now? Like, what, what was the impetus to 
to put this out so publicly now, especially as a public figure, knowing that it would get a lot of attention and, and, and potentially scrutiny. Uh, what really made you turn the corner and say, now it's time for me to come forward with this part of my life? I, I suppose there's two things uh, mainly. One, I have more time now that my last kid left the house like uh, two years ago. So there's nobody left out all four. And so, you know, literally did not have any responsibility for child raising anymore. <laughs> right. And then the, the second part was um, Tony Fitzpatrick had really been instrumental in this. And I've known mm-hmm. Tony a long time. Actually, I, I wrote about him 31 years ago for Chicago Magazine when he was just a young guy just starting out in the poetry slam. And we would see each other off and on through the years. And then I was desperate to learn more about painting. Because it's it's like anything else. And if you don't train to be an actor, you don't train to be a writer or a pilot or anything, how in the world can you expect to be any good at it? I mean, I know there are always those people who say, oh, man, this guy just wrote a great book. He's never written anything in his life. Or this person just walked out of nowhere and is the greatest actor. But I, there are techniques that even uh, Michelangelo and, you know, the greatest artist of all time all studied art somehow you have to learn something you have to learn about the properties of the paint what the paper does and so i would go and hang out at tony's studio (laughs) he would allow me literally to sit there or to watch him do stuff and the stuff that he did was very much stuff that um uh appealed to me because it has to do more with uh design and using whatever's around to make something that is pretty as opposed to like painting a landscape and uh it, but I, I owe everything to tony really because he was the one who told me came up to me said rick you gotta have a show and i was like oh come on i mean seriously really <laughs> he said yeah and he told his son max uh he told me one time and then he never got never said anything about it and i just kind of let it go so then a year ago i said you know Tony, uh, remember when you said maybe I could have a show? And he said, yeah, what happened? Why didn't you? And I said, well, it was supposed to be in May. And he said, well, I don't know. Uh, we didn't do it. Whatever. You, I mean, I didn't hear from you. I said, well, I was kind of waiting for you. So he says, Max, uh, book for a chance. What's the next time we got available? And uh, he, looks, he says, June, this had to be almost a year ago. And so... You know, I had like 10 months, I guess, to <laughs> prepare for it, you know? So right. I did a few more paintings and everything, and I tried to, you know, just stay serious about it. But um, once I knew it was going to happen, yeah, I had an endless amount of time to, to think about it. I thought, well, the worst that will happen, nobody will come. I just sit there and have a beer by myself. <laughs> well, what, how do you, I guess, how do you decide what to show? I, and, and, and the mix of... And as someone who has not done a public showing uh, before, you, you were probably sitting on a lot of stuff that had been in your house or or things that you had done versus uh, new directions or new new art that you wanted to do specifically for this. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I took probably 30, 30 pieces down to his studio, and I let Tony look at all of me. He said, Rick, there's only going to be uh, like 16 or 17 pieces. And uh, I'm going to be, you know, kind of ruthless and relentless, and we're going to have 
you know, I know you want to make a good impression this first time around. So he rejected a bunch of pennies that I liked a lot, but I understood his reasoning, and he kept a lot of the ones that were um, more abstract and are 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 more like, uh, it, I, you know, I don't even know how I'd describe it. It's almost like colors all over a page, but then they slowly take on little um, imagery. Uh, you know, there, there's kind of running uh, pieces or, or uh, little you know, uh, streams of paint. And, you know, one might be a, a face of a dog or you might somebody look at it long enough and say, oh, that's, a, you know, a snake slithering wrong or those are fish right. or this is something like that, you know, whatever. And then on some of my had added, I painted a very precise image of a, uh, a butterfly, a uh, luna moth. Um, what was another one? Um, I don't know, stuff like that. But he didn't want anything that had to do with birds. I had a couple of bird paintings, uh, you know, one that was more symbolic. The other one that was very accurate, it looks almost like a photograph of a bunch of uh, blackbirds flying in a formation seen from underneath with the sky above them. And he said, no, nah, you know, you just don't want those in there. I said, why? He said, you don't want anybody thinking that you're just copying me. You know, because hmm. he, he paints birds all the time. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, well, two people can like birds. But anyway, I understood what he was saying. So I have a bunch of paintings that uh, were not on the walls uh, for that show. I've read you talk about how you've always been inspired by nature. And I'm wondering what what role uh, the outdoors or wildlife plays as your artistic muse? And, and, and sort of how does that inform your work? Well, two ways. One, I've always been an outdoors guy. Uh, I was in Cub Scouts. I was in Boy Scouts. Made it all the way up to Life Scout, Merit Badge. And then, you know, like so many other guys, hormones kick in and you just, you know, you can't, you just don't do it anymore. But uh, I always went camping. I uh, learned a lot of stuff from Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts. I mean, I can make a lot of knots and bowlins and half hits, and I could do lashings and all that stuff. We spent a lot of time in Peoria. Um, we would go on campouts, uh, you know, whether Boy Scouts or even then, sometimes just guys, we would just go. So uh, where I lived also was very rural uh, out there. Uh, you know, it was when we first moved in, it was just surrounded by woods out on Picture Ridge Road. And uh, you could you could wander off into the woods and go a long ways, like a couple miles all the way mm-hmm. to the Illinois River and pretty much be in wilderness all the way. I mean, it was, it could get spooky, you know, even though nothing ever happened, but, <laughs> but, but along the way, you know, we found toads and frogs and salamanders and, you know, I would go fishing and we, you know, we dig up worms and we knew all about the um, insects that were all around when they hatched mayflies, June bugs. We certainly knew about butterflies. We all had butterfly books and we all had butterfly nets on my buddies. And, um, it was, People say, "Well, you know what a what a stupid thing to do." It was exciting, man. It was the hunt, and you had to figure mm-hmm. out where the butterflies you wanted might be. You know, just like a like a hunter going into a field of grain looking for pheasants or whatever. If there was an apple tree and the apples were ripe, uh, you knew that there might be a whole bunch of morning cloaks there. Morning cloaks were great. Uh, if you had uh, bushes of like lilacs or other kind of very fragrant flowers. Sometimes you might get an incredible amount of swallowtails 
And uh, if you're out in fields, there would be sulfur butterflies and uh, cabbage butterflies, just all kinds of stuff. And all the kids knew this. I had this, all these collections of insects, and I was just fascinated about them. I love the colors of them, all the things I learned about them. Um, so it's very natural for me to want to draw them or paint them. Because I find I find nature fascinating in that regard. I find it beautiful. Uh, well, first of all, I'm I'm a guy also who spent time in Peoria who who just paid a, a, another man to come put up my daughter's swing set outside. So I'm like the opposite of you, the outdoorsman, like real man. <laughs> but you, you know, you, you've you've really talked about how you do a lot of watercolor. And uh, my co-host Gareth, who's a huge art aficionado, could not be here tonight. He's on a plane, but he wanted to he wanted to know. Watercolor is a notoriously difficult medium to work with. So what what, yes. drew, what drew you to that, and, and how did you know that you had enough of a knack for it to stick with it? Well, I, I didn't to all those things, and I never really got any encouragement. Uh, but I would do <laughs> some things, and, and, you know, I mean, if you're waiting for encouragement, good luck. You might never find it or you might never get it. But I would do things... Uh, here's what I have. Watercolors, yeah, I was terrified of. I mean, like, nobody can control watercolors. And I stayed away from them. I used, um, at the, for a long time, I was using acrylics or I was using uh, black ink. I, I was doing ink drawings, just, uh, you know, pencil and ink on white paper. I did some architectural things. I did a painting, uh, I mean, an ink drawing of a, uh, a hotel called the Victor Hotel that a friend of mine owned down on North Avenue. And in fact, he brought it to the showing. I, had, I did it in 1976. And uh, no watercolors at all. But it, it's pretty well done. I'm pretty amazed looking at it. I don't think I could do it now. But it was Mark McMahon who said, Rick, come over. Mark was a good buddy of mine, great artist, and uh, a good friend of mine from Lake Forest. And we played tennis together. And, uh, you know, I always say, Mark, geez, I want to learn how to paint. I really, really would like to. And he's such a friendly guy. He said, oh, yeah, I'll help you just, you know, whatever, come around. We'll go out to Utah. We'll sit around and paint flowers. And I never did go out to Utah with him. I guess he's got a, a place out there. He goes. But one day he said, Rick, the irises are coming out. I'll go over to my house and we'll sit there in these little camp chairs and I'll show you how to paint them. I said, well, hot damn. And I came over and he said, okay, take this pencil and now draw it. And don't lift the pencil off the paper. Don't don't kind of like do a little sketching, like one line, another line. Just keep it down there and draw the thing relatively quickly. Don't worry about it if you make a mistake. Do it and do the, do the leaves and do the flowers the best way you can. Because he knew I could draw reasonably well. He'd had me practice that. And he said, okay, good. Now, wet the paper. I said, oh, Jesus. And we got a brush, wet it. And here's try to find the color here in these in this palette of colors that he brought out, watercolors. And he said, "Okay, just take your brush, don't get too much on there, and put it on where you've wet the out, uh, all the the plant, and let the purple of the iris let it just go with the water. It wouldn't the paper had to be flat so that it wouldn't just run straight down the paper. Right. And I did it, and you got these. I said, "Damn." That's incredible. And I, I said, I don't know what it's going to do. And he said, that's right. You don't know what it's going to do, but you have an idea. And watercolors is a an accumulation of the mistakes you've made that becomes something beautiful. Huh. And I'm like, holy cow, man. <laughs> that was like a, a light bulb went up. Like, 
underneath the banding, you can add some uh, accent strokes with the same color. And you do it, and it's not, you're not painting it precisely. Maybe you're not staying inside the lines. And then you can do this green, find a green that you like, and you're just going to do a little bit here and a little there. And by the time I was done, I still had that first painting. It was like, man, that looks kind of cool. But it wasn't staying inside the lines. It wasn't drawing something exactly the way it is, because everything's an interpretation. And Mark has a very decided style that he uses for that. And uh, once you see it, you realize, oh, man, you know, what does the eye see here? Look at all the things you can do. And from that, I became very attracted to watercolors because of that. And the other reason, just like Tony Fitzpatrick uses watercolors, is because they dry really fast. And you don't have to have any chemicals to clean them up or anything. It's just a very practical thing. But as far as, like, being terrified of watercolors? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was completely at the beginning. <laughs> well, that, that quote about them being the mistakes uh, that you've made is the uh, is like a Yogi Berra quote in the best possible way, uh, yeah. which I love. Yeah. Um, but that, you, Now, in looking at the, the selected works that I've seen online, um, I was traveling all last week. I, I, I read this story and I called you before I had a chance to even get downtown. Uh, but to, to see everything in person, it does seem like you, you, you dabble in mixed media. I was looking at certain works that seem to be weaving in real sort of labels of uh, brands and things that you were trying to use around the perimeter of the paintings as, a, as an artistic statement. So I'm just wondering, uh, how, how freeing do you find being able to sort of do art with whatever you have at your disposal as opposed to sticking to a certain style or a certain uh, a certain type of paint or material? Well, I find that amazing and incredibly liberating as long as you don't think about it too much because if you right. think that everything is available as to use as uh, part of your painting, then all of a sudden you just freeze up because nothing is not available. And that's that's kind of terrifying. You know, it's like, oh my God, should I should I glue a fork on here, or maybe a shred of a tire, <laughs> or I should get some grass off my front lawn? You know, I mean, where do I call it quits? And and that's where a um, a famous old saying kicks in, one that I knew about a long time ago, and I think has some truth to it. That painting is very easy when you don't know how, and very difficult when you do. And <laughs> I found that to be true. So I, uh, when I use all these little found things, I try to use them. I'm fascinated by color and color coordination and colors that go together and brightness. And, and I have books about colors. They really do something to you. You know, if you pick bright red or, you know, neon yellow or orange or why is blue soothing? Why? I just love the color. Uh, all the colors are blue, but particularly phthalo blue and uh, phthalo green. And I don't know what their properties are, but when you thin them out, they look like the sky or they look like water. And I'm still learning all about that, but those are colors, paints, that are just astounding. Now, those are acrylics, but acrylics are, is, are water-based, too. You know, they maybe they're plastic, essentially, and they're relatively new. I don't uh, I don't know when they were invented, but I think you know, I don't think they've been around for, you know, even 75 years. I, I, I don't know for a fact, but I think they might be around, have been around for only like 50 years. But those are, you can just wipe up with water too, which is great. Uh, so 
when I use those, do those borders, I'd always put borders around the things that I'd done. I don't know why. I just, uh, I'll draw lines. I've, I've done that before. years ago. I did it. But then I saw Tony Fitzpatrick does the same thing. And I was amazed. I said, Tony, where'd you get that? Where'd you get this little skull and crossbones? Or where did you get this woman's face or this, uh, this color pattern or this, thing that just says an address on it in gold on black. He said, those are, you know, old, old matchbooks that I found, or they're old, uh, you know, napkins or something. It could be almost anything like that. And I said, uh, oh, my God. So when I want to have something all in red, I could get cigarette packs uh, that have, you know, Marlboros or red. Coca-Cola, if you can find little things that's always in red. I wanted orange. I found these uh, muffins. Uh, English muffins, I can't remember what the name of it is, but they have orange. So, you know, I took English muffins and took the box and cut stuff off of cereal boxes that have all kinds of colors on them. <laughs> you take you take this stuff and put it together, and all of a sudden it kind of, it all goes together. But it also tells you these crazy kind of stories as you read what's on them. What is your process like from, you know, uh, you know doing art to writing? I, I saw you quoted saying that, you are comfortable with a painting. You, you you find it complete. Whereas if I gave you any column you wrote in 1997, you'd probably you know draw it uh, or mark it up with red ink. And I I can relate to that. I feel the same way about any writing that I've I've had published or any podcast I put out. I, I could still start editing it tomorrow. Uh, what is your headspace like and how you both approach the work and accept the work, uh, art versus writing? I don't know what the big difference is. I, I've tried to think about that, why a painting can feel complete and why writing almost never does. And I think that the biggest reason must be that um, a color is a choice that, you know, you know this is right for what you're doing. With word, there's always that doubt uh, because it, it, words are, um, you know, it starts with letters that become words that become sentences that become paragraphs, that become an entire story. And the problem can be, uh, my God, uh, you know, I take it back to the word. Yeah, that word, that's not the right word. Or maybe I should have had a better one or construct the sentence entirely differently. Start it a different way. Start the paragraph differently, end differently. All those things are endlessly impossible to know when they're perfect. You know, people will say, uh, the Great Gatsby is like a perfect novel. Well, you know, I bet Fitzgerald says, oh, my God, you know, I wish I'd done this differently or that. Same with almost every short story, some that are, you know, that are classics. There's always ways they can be made better. But now painting, once you're done, I mean, you kind of feel like it's done. I could add stuff. You know, I talked to Tony about it. He said, you know, you can just keep fussing with something forever, but you realize at that point it's not going to make it better. It's just going to make it different. Hmm. And so I think that is um, that is something that everybody kind of feels with a painting. You know, that uh, I'm done. That's it. Uh, not really much anymore that I can do with it. I don't know what it is about words, man. I just always think, my God, you know, maybe it's because <laughs> words, words, you know, words fluctuate and, uh, you know, a passive verb changes things in a passive sentence and they change through time whereas the painting is is there it's set 
you can look at it in different ways, but those colors are not, they're not as arbitrary as words. Maybe that's where it is. Yeah. Well, have you run in in your career to any athletes or sports media uh, figures that were either secret art lovers or artists who just never really shared it unless they found a kindred spirit like yourself? I think there's a lot of guys, um, a lot of people who are very good at art, uh, you know, for whatever that means. And, you know, they, they don't have it quite as a hobby, and maybe they should, maybe they could, maybe, uh, you know, you end up with art just filling up a room, paintings. It's like, okay, now what do I do? Go to a flea market or, you know, if nobody <laughs> wants them. There were a number of people who came to that, um, my showing and they showed me their own stuff they had it on their phone or whatever and it was some of it was really good really good you know stuff that i couldn't do that's for sure but for whatever reason you know it, it didn't become anything so or, you know it, it, they, they're doing it and they're gonna have to be satisfied with um what is happening you know themselves they can't they're gonna have to like emily dickinson they're gonna have to say, uh, you know, I wrote all these poems that are in a trunk. One of these days, I'll, uh, you know, I don't care if the public sees them. I'm happy I just did it myself, <laughs> you know? Yeah. No. I, I would be, in my case, I would like people to see my stuff. I, I really would. I, I think that's the, the reason I write, too. I don't write secretly. I've written for the public, you know, for you know, 40, 45 years or so. and. Right. I want people to see it. I, you know, whether it's ego or or whatever it is, I want it to be seen as uh, what I do. And so, I, I'm really excited about where this painting might go from here. It might fizzle and die tomorrow, but uh, believe me, I'm going to keep working Tony Fitzpatrick. <laughs> and I might, I would hope to have another showing, maybe a year from now, with all new stuff. And uh, we we will be we'll do a live podcast from there, my friend. <laughs> okay, I'm ready, man. We'll describe it. If you can't see it, we'll yeah, describe it. Yeah, that's right. Perfectly. Maybe we're not the best medium for uh, for your artwork, but uh, <laughs> but we, we have a year to figure that out. So you, you, your show's going on, uh, you know, just to kind of close out here, your show's going on all month at Adventureland Gallery, uh, 1513 Northwestern Avenue in Chicago. Let me ask you this to, to, to wrap. You were there opening night. How many times over the month can you go back before it becomes kind of like you're the the guy in the band wearing his own band's T-shirt on stage? Like, do do you pop in once or <laughs> twice? Do you just avoid it altogether? What's what's your strategy here? Well, I'm gonna go in there, I think, a few times just to, just to say, okay, Rick, stop stop and think about this, man. <laughs> Here's your art, the stuff that you know you were doing in second and third grade, and all along you did in college I made black light posters because black lights were awesome and I got some oh, yeah. black light paints. Uh you know, they had just come out. They're brand new and we bought black lights and painted an entire room in this old house black. I mean the whole thing. And I we had posters we put up and I started painting with uh you know there's only a few colors, orange, yellow, purple and kind of like a pinkish color. That's all we had. And then under black light it looked incredible. And so Okay, I did that when I was 20 years old, you know, 19, 20 years old. And it's moved from that to this. And I've just got to say, hey, man, this is, you know, this is incredible. And aren't you lucky? And I can't wait 
to do this stuff again and again. And I'm going in there tomorrow. I'm going to get one of the paintings out that's been sold because the guy bought it. Dave Kaplan has a um, uh, TV show, and I'm going on his TV show. It's on NBC Sports, and I'm going to present it to him there. And it's a painting of a red Stratocaster uh, guitar which with little uh, kind of ovals going all around it with every great guitar player who has played a Strat as his primary mm-hmm. instrument, starting with, um, you know, Buddy Holly and uh, Hank Marvin and going to Jimi Hendrix. You know, it's pretty cool, and I'm going to present it to him, hopefully on TV. So I'm excited about that. Man, it's awesome. I'm so happy for you. It's always great to see someone kind of coming forward and, and showing a new side and, and having people get excited about it. So congratulations on that. And, uh, you know, and, and, and give us the – you mentioned painting water, man. Give us the ultimate Illinois River painting. I'll paint the Illinois River somehow. That, that's what I would do with the Murray Baker Bridge in it, I think. Oh, yeah, and, and not the Murray Baker since they've uh, painted it gray, right? Wasn't it, it used to be like a, like a kind of a, a burnt orange that kind of stood, uh, stood out against the yeah, horizon. Exa- exactly. Oh. Yes. Ex- <laughs> and I'll show some catfish jumping. Oh, hell yeah, yeah man. Now we're, now we're talking. <laughs> now we're talking. All right. Well, Rick, thank you so much for all this time, man. I really appreciate it. And again, congratulations. When the drama comes, gunshots go. Never been a dope boy, but I got a dope flow. Straight to your brain, how my fans feeling? Oh, okay, you know me for balling and making jump shots, but I be moving the crowd like a honey gunshots. Virginia's my state, Norfolk's my city, so no one's the murder capital. Corinth is busy, youngest, keep thunder like Kevin Durant, and the fire rate on sight if they think you a rat. Get birds from Atlanta like founders and hawks, cause the South got it cheap if your money you talk. And we are back in the sports world. Athletes, coaches, media, they all get into certain things, passions, interests, hobbies. And we tell them, stop doing that. Get back to watching game film. You're being a distraction. That's ridiculous. Life is just work and the things that distract us from work. So on this show, we celebrate distractions every week by telling you what we've been into. Gareth, distract us. Uh, I'm going to go with two things because they're at the opposite end of the spectrum. I am working on uh, the 2018 Songwriters Hall of Fame ceremony. I'm work- uh, I've been doing some of the writing for it. And so I'm writing up bios on each of the artists being inducted. And one of them was Alan Jackson. And so I went back and listened to a lot of Alan Jackson, which was like one of the three country artists I could actually tolerate growing up. And I I was listening to it tonight, and I just thought to myself, uh, like, Amy was... I've written the script at this point, and Amy was in the living room, and she goes, why are you listening to this? And I just said, I think because I like it. Um, wow. I know, Adam, this is me extending an olive branch. This is me, like, our resident snobby hipster extraordinaire embracing pop country in a real chosen way. Uh, So I wanted to acknowledge that, and then I wanted to dial it back considerably by shouting out, dear white people, see, look, I can be a self-hating okay. southwestern ohio white person still back to normal worry. 
Yeah. Uh, but that show is exceptional and really inventive and just doing, I don't care if you like what, take away what it says about race and everything like that, which is all very important, but the way it depicts a college and B our addiction to internet rage is really inventive and really smart. So those are, those are my two distractions for the week. No, it's good, man. I'm going to give a shout out to Jason Fitz right now, who on this very show two weeks ago said he would punch Alan Jackson in the face. <laughs> clearly, Gareth did not listen to that episode. Yeah. No, I, was I did not breath. listen to that you. episode because that's how I feel about country music. But yes. All right. <laughs> All right. Adam, who did listen to the episode and asked that question, what's distracting you? <laughs> um, so I obviously the... The NFL's ban on kneeling is a, a recent and hot topic in the news. Um, but I wanted to know a little bit more about the history of athletes and activists, black athletes in particular, and activism. And I was recommended a book um, called The Heritage by Howard Bryant. So The Heritage, Black Athletes, A Divided America and the Politics of Patriotism. So a lot of it is about how throughout the history of sports, black athletes have used their platform in instances where they haven't um, and how that's played into society as a whole. Interestingly enough, this book was released right before the NFL put the ban on kneeling during the anthem, um, which I think is actually a good thing. Um, so the, you know you're not getting to that inevitable point in the book. Uh, but so far, a good read. I would recommend it to our audience. That's awesome. Um, all right, distracting me this week, uh, I want to get into the world of hip-hop. So... Pusha T, who most people who listen to this show would know as someone who is referenced on a, on a lot of Ringer podcasts, um, <laughs> has a beef with Toronto Raptors bench player Drake uh, <laughs> about something about themselves. And as Pusha T, I think, <laughs> clinched said beef <laughs> with his recent takedown of Drake and his secret child... Uh, I was drawn to the song in the back of his uh, his diss track, which was Jay-Z's uh, The Story of OJ. That, that Jay-Z album, 444, is, is admittedly a Jay-Z album that kind of just, you know, went past me in life as I was dealing with New Baby and that kind of stuff. But I looked up Story of OJ, and I was really, I don't want to say moved, because that's... Uh, it's too strong a word, but something in that song just grabs me. The, 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 the sheer brash bravado of the way Jay-Z talks about race and yet is so unapologetic of his station in life versus said race really made me think a lot about our current state and what's going on. And so, again, I would just advise people uh, this to me when it comes to culture, sports, whatever's role in in society or race relations especially, uh, to me, it's not necessarily about forming an opinion and sharing an opinion. It's about uh, talking to people and listening and having an opinion that's always informed. I love the beat. I agree with that. The, the video is exceptional. Um, 
But yeah, I'm kind of with you. That whole album kind of, I don't know, it just... It, it, somebody once said, if you don't discover music by the time you're 25, you, record companies assume you never will. And I actually, like, last week was a big one. I actually bought the Pusha T record when it came out because I loved his last one. I thought Numbers on the Board was one of my favorite rap songs I'd heard in years. But I did not buy 444. I think I listened to it once or twice. It felt to me like like an album that came out because his wife had made Beyonce and he had to try to match that. Or uh, had ma- his wife had made Lemonade and he had to try to match that. So it just, uh, I don't know, it didn't, that one I missed. So, but I, I mean, I like it, but I have less of an opinion on Daytona I thought was great. And I also listened to a, an hour long podcast on a train, uh, the New York times Popcast, breaking down all the beef going deep on, uh, Pusha versus Toronto Raptors bench player, Drake. It was fascinating. Adam, did you listen to the new Kanye album? No, of course not. (laughs) I would say this. uh, As art, there's nothing of his that I've heard that I like as much as Bobby Fino, a.k.a. Arian Foster's album. And I'm not... And again, I feel bad to our audience because no one's going to believe me. I feel like I'm in a crowded movie theater saying there's a fire and no one believes me, but there's an actual fucking fire. Like, well, this is what happens when you review two Le'Veon Bell albums. Two. <laughs> First Wait, of so all, what are you saying about what are you saying about Kanye v, uh, versus Bobby Fino? I, I think I'm just saying right now. I think Arian Foster's album should be considered when we when we look back in a year and say was that among the best albums in hip hop of 2018 like that's what Got i'm it. saying okay yeah yeah, yeah. i yeah. thought you were saying like all of kanye's output and i was like i don't know about that man I, he did no no, no. i mean the new, the new yeah, yeah. album there's nothing on the new album that i've heard that excited me as much as listening to <laughs> the arian foster album and today i was just moving mulch at our off-site <laughs> charity session you know, I was out there moving around, listening to Arian Foster's album, and just being like, "This might be my favorite album of this year." Like, no qualification, which I don't normally do. And Adam, you know what? I think First Flight" by Le'Veon Bell plus several <laughs> others on SoundCloud is a tremendous song, and you can eat it. You don't. You don't really think it's. I like great, that though. song. It was my no, first flight out of the city. It's All good. right, man. I'll give right. I'll, you. I'll give you this round. All right. That is distractions. Let's end with some shout outs. I'm going to shout out Rick Tallender from the Chicago Sun-Times. Legend of the game. Best of luck with his art career. Amazing stuff. I'm going to shout out my wife for making us all laugh with her Kirk Heinrich in speed suggestion. And I'm going to shout out my daughter, Charlotte, a.k.a. Charlie Burke, who turned five on Sunday uh, we 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 got a we got a uh, a swing set to put in the backyard for her, and we hired someone to put it together because you know guys, these aren't these aren't putting together swing set hands on on daddy, <laughs> and we I tried my entire best all day to hide 
the guy working in the backyard. It took him nine hours to do it. What? Yeah, it, it's a big swing set, and it took a long time. And he was re- he was great. He was really good. And I hid this from her all day. I walked her outside on other routes, like just close the blinds. And then I I went upstairs to shower, and or no, I I got myself. I was gonna go to the Y to, to do a swim, and my wife calls me and goes, "You need to come home." And I'm like, "Oh my god, what happened?" And she goes. Well, we were playing hide and seek, and she went into your office, and your window was open, and she said, "Mommy, mommy, some man outside is making me a playground." <laughs> and I was like, "Well, I ruined her birthday. Congratulations, oh, no. me." Oh. Anyway, oh, no. uh, shout out Charlie. Uh, I'm the only person left in your life besides my mom who calls you Charlie, and I'm always going to keep it that way. Uh, uh, Gareth. Uh, any shout-outs? Well, you're the only one left in her life who calls her Charlie? Yeah, once she started school, everyone calls her Charlotte. And then mom and uh, or my wife and her family have adopted Charlotte. So now pretty much everyone, and she prefers Charlotte. And I had to sort of negotiate with her, can I continue to call you Charlie? And she's like, yes, that's fine. Mm. Yeah, so my daughter's name is Belle Halliday, and I heard a little girl, like usually it was only adults who called her Belle. Because they couldn't get it, and it was kids would all call her Bell Halliday, and it really like uh, know, made me happy to hear that the youth could. They just were unencumbered by expectations on names. And then I was on the playground this morning, and I heard a little girl call her Bell, and it like broke my heart a little bit. Most kids, this is pretty funny. She's six, and they all call her BH. She's just like I was like, dude, you picked up a nickname like like a cool initial nickname like fast wow okay so (laughs) i guess that's my shout out to my kid too and her weird name nice nice all right adam any shout outs most of my potential kids have ended up on on my shower tiles and i never bothered to name them so (laughs) just leave it at that and also shout out to my boy uzi deaf jeff little swanee meech Ron Mack, and my other cousin, Ron. And in the immortal words of Shaquille O'Neal, a.k.a. our greatest artisan, booty rappers, stay... Stay booty. Booty. Stay booty. I kind of jumped the gun and cut you guys out on that. Sorry. <laughs> stay booty. Trust me, the juicy don't need them. I'm on point just like a needle, ayy. I got three girls, I'ma meet them. Uh, yeah. My dime is well like I'm Nemo. Uh, yeah. My dime is well like I'm Nemo, ayy. I got three chains, it's a trio, yeah. Take your chain in, cause I'm Debo, ayy. Mohi just bought me a kilo, ayy. My dime is well like I'm, uh. I told him I'm on the way. I told him get